before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode 22. As always, joined by the three amigos, we've got Rich Diaz with Acorn Macro Consulting in the sexy white dress shirt, the Tom Brady of Macro, and we've got Keith Dicker uh, of Ice Cap Asset Management in the Patagucci jacket. Welcome back, gentlemen. Um, lots going on in the, this week. I mean, we're, we're actually filming this a day earlier, but um I think everyone's talking about it is the escalation in, in Russia, Ukraine. So we'll certainly touch on that aspect. Uh, you know, the commodity boom, which we touched on a little bit on the last show, how that filters through into potentially, well, probably higher inflation, stri- potentially structurally higher inflation over the longer duration uh, as this sort of deglobalization uh, escalates. And uh, so I want to kind of open up today's show with sort of a question to you guys, because I posted this on Twitter uh, the other day, uh, kind of making a joke, right? Because, and I basically said, so just, just confirming that we're still on for eight rate hikes this year. Um, you know, and basically my view is that this, you basically, yeah, you do got higher inflation, but like, I think it seems to me almost inevitable that we're going to go into a recession here. I mean, any, anytime oil prices hit as high as they do, there's a pretty long track record to suggest that that starts to bite into the consumer. Again, oil is the lifeblood of the economy. It goes, it's an, it's an input cost into almost everything in our day-to-day lives. Um, and so that was kind of my view. And, and obviously central banks, you know, they're going to keep tightening into a recession. So that's the question because there was a lot of feedback saying this, Steve, you're an idiot. Uh, you don't know what you're talking about and perhaps rightfully so, but I want to take that to you guys because they're like, Basically, this makes a stronger argument. Don't you know that this commodity inflation is going to cause even more inflation? Thus, central banks will do the right thing and raise rates even more than what is currently priced in. So there was a lot of that view, right? Like, the, don't don't think about the recession. Central banks are just gonna they're gonna do what they need to do, which is fight inflation. That's the moral thing to do. And because of the war in Russia and Ukraine, that will create more inflation. Thus, more tightening. Rich, uh, I want to get your thoughts on that uh, and get your views on that dilemma. Um, all right, cool. Um, so a couple of things. <laughs> I like laugh when you said, are central banks going to do the right thing? I think, um, have we learned nothing, people? Central banks do like almost never do the right thing. Um, and so this idea that they're going to do the right thing now, starting now because they you know, have a come to Jesus moment, I think is laughable at best. Um, a couple of things. I think number one, um, this is not the quote unquote right kind of inflation that I think central banks can affect um, with central bank rate hikes, 200 basis, 400 basis points, a thousand. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't matter. One, if commodity prices continue to get elevated, I mean, they're down today, but if they continue to ratchet higher because of war or because of embargoes and sanctions and all kinds of stuff like that, it's not clear at all that any amount of rate hikes short of, I guess, totally collapsing um, demand and just, you know, driving the economy into the ditch 
um, would have any effect on inflation at all anyways. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, I think, and then, then and the final thing is, I think it's really important to remember what they're trying to do. They're just trying to remove the kind of excess stimulus. And so um, it's not clear at all that they want to, quote unquote, materially tighten um, even if they do raise by 200 basis points or 2% or whatever, I mean, um, real rates will almost certainly still be negative um, and um, policy will still be easy. And, um, and I, I, don't think, I think they're very acutely aware that this is sort of the, the wrong type of inflation to be fighting. Um, I don't know, Keith, if you had a different view on that. Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, we got to look at there are three kinds. Inflation comes from three different markets or three different areas that, that Rich just introduced. The, the first one is that demand is, is really strong. And that's the kind of inflation that central banks, you know, they, they can control or at least, you know, try to influence. So by creating an environment where demand will weaken or demand will strengthen, depending on what they want to do with the economy. Then you have inflation that's driven by supply. So if there's too much of stuff on the market, you know, prices are cheaper and, and, and then the opposite. And then the other kind of inflation, of course, is FX related. So let's just say, for example, the US dollar just, just surged, went up through the roof. Uh, inflation, all else being equal, it, it declines for the Americans, but it rises for everyone else in the world. So you can always have those, that situation that that's happening. Central banks right now, it's incredibly difficult for them raising rates, trying to affect inflation that's driven by the supply lines being shut down. And then, of course, you look at what else is happening out there around the world. However, though, they have the pressure. They got the social pressure. They have the political pressure right now. They're getting pressure from banks, uh, financial markets, specifically on the front end of, of the yield curve in overnight funding markets. They're telling them, yeah, you got to raise rates to keep up. So you have all that taking place. And so, see, when people, I, th I think they're being a bit, when, when people are saying central banks, they have to raise rates aggressively, eight, nine, 10, 12 times because inflation is surging. I just don't think they're not completely aware of the total picture because you will get to a point where it, it will break. So I, I know we've discussed it here on, on this show before that we do not expect the Bank of Canada to, to do, what was it, seven or eight? rate hikes, I think the numbers thrown out there. We've always said, you know, three, four or five, and then we say they get stopped out. So the way they get stopped out is that some other exogenous event will take place, which, which causes them to pull back. And right now that's that, you know, it, it is happening, you know, with, with what's happening overseas. But so a couple things on, on inflation right now, people are now no longer talking about the global supply chains being shut down. Like COVID, no one talks about COVID anymore. Like inflation was not created by that. And all of a sudden inflation wasn't created by central banks having low rates or government spending too much money or banks, commercial banks lending out too much. It, it's Russia. So you remember the Brady Bunch years ago? He was Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. You guys don't oh, know God. that. Oh, oh, boy. oh dear. Here comes, here comes a story. Here comes a story. I will tell a story, but I'm not going to use the Brady Bunch as, as a Wait, wait, before story. you get into the story. Okay, finish this it, thought. That's not a story. I'm not using the Brady Bunch. Okay. And I'm going to be very wise with my storytelling. <laughs> but anyway, right now, like for example, as, over the last two days, I saw this headline from uh, on Bloomberg, you know, rising gas prices. It's Russia's fault. 
you know, all the American had a big newspapers like in Chicago, the Tribune, you know, the, the Times, the over in L.A. and even up in the, the Bay Area, like it's, it's all the gas prices because of Russia, Russia. And it's contributed maybe over the last, you know, to get it moving. But, you know, as we've talked about quite a bit on, on the show, like this hard left turn towards in, improving um, in a reaction to, to climate policies, that that's what's really tipped off, you know, the, the surge in inflation and then the lockdown economies and, and all that stuff. But again, this is another case where people have very short memories. They're very focused on now, you know, the big bad Russians are causing inflation. And it's not the Russians causing inflation. It, it's been here before. And it's, you know, we are going to get a reaction to it. So the best part about the conversation today that I'm excited about is what the central banks are going to do and what some of them are not going to do. Because I think we're, and, and, and next week, guys, we have the Fed coming up. And I think it's Whoa. going to create a, a really big moment. Both guys want to woe here. What, they're, the, what they're going to do versus what they should do. Different things, please. People, remind Reminder, Rich, go ahead. Well, just, I think that there's another way of thinking about it, which is why I think you you were right to start us on this track. And I think that there's not it's not just the Fed or the Federal Reserve or the Bank of Canada that can tighten monetary policy. If you like think about it sort of philosophically, what is monetary? What is tightening? It means the access and creation of money and the price of that money. And there's different things that can affect that. Uh, price of money. One of the things that we've seen recently over the last few weeks is sort of the front end of the yield curve. So the ten year, the two year bond yield has shot up from I can't remember whatever fifty basis points to one hundred and sixty odd basis points. That's a form of policy or tightening. The other things that affect tightening is um, a lower price earnings ratio, or what? How else? How, another way of describing that is if the equity market tanks thirty percent. Trust me, that'll affect the way people perceive the cost of capital, and it'll affect something called the equity risk premium, of course. Um, another thing that's another um, way of tightening is rising input costs, e.g. oil. So that's another way. So if you have a massive, massive increase in, in oil prices, you can think about that as, as a way of sort of tightening or, or sort of gumming up the works of your economy, right? And then the other two ways, I think, are just simply the, do the dollar. So the dollar rising rapidly, that, trust me, that tightens, that quote unquote, tightens monetary policy in, in jurisdictions outside of the US, for sure. And then the final way is confidence. If you think that the world is going to end in global nuclear holocaust, then I, you're not going to be as keen on lending to your neighbor as you were three weeks hence. And I think that those are other ways that you can have so, sort of, um, you know, in philosophically tighter policy or monetary policy without having the central bank really do any anything at all. And so that's another way of, of, of thinking about it. So um, I think that's just something important to think about. Yeah, I think that last point's really, really important because like I said, I obviously work day to day in the real estate space. And so I'm always like very cognizant of sentiment, right? Like home, right. what's, what's home buyer sentiment and home, home buying, you know, particularly in Canada is like just, it's a massive driver of our economy. So like, you know, housing market slows down, we will we will feel that, you know, months down the road. And so I'm just seeing it today. It's like sentiments changing, right? Like people are like, Oh no, there's a war out there. You know, gas prices are going up. Like people are uneasy. They're uneasy. They're uncomfortable. And, and so, you know, you're starting to see that some of that activity pull back, right? That speculative fever is, it's just not what it used to be. And so, yeah, I think that it's that sentiment. Um, and so, yeah, the tightening as, as Rich pointed out to can come from, 
many, many factors outside of just central bankers. And I think that's kind of the argument that we're making today is that the market is going to do a lot of the tightening for the central bankers uh, moving forward. And, um, you know, funny, funny, you were actually talking about, uh, Keith, you're talking about uh, governments and, and the oil and gas policy. You know, it's pretty interesting. I don't know if you guys saw, I love, love them or hate them, but uh, Elon Musk was out on Twitter this week. Uh, he's, quote, hate to say it, but we need to increase oil and gas output immediately. Extraordinary times demand extraordinary measures. Uh, he went on to say, obviously, this would negatively affect Tesla, but sustainable energy solutions simply cannot react instantaneously to make up for Russian oil and gas exports. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, and then like, I mean, like, again, guys, this is a guy that's like literally disrupting, you know, the, the combustion engine here, uh, you know, that's. And the fact that he's coming out and, and making a claim like that, I think you have to be cognizant because I'm just seeing it again. You know, we talked about, joked about it on the show before, but, um, you know, you go in Vancouver right now, a, a liter of gas is over two bucks. I think we, I think we hit two, two ten a liter. Part of that is obviously uh, government related, i.e. Uh, carbon taxes, which are set to go up in BC here on April 1st again. Um, and people are going, Oh, you know, gas is two bucks a liter. What the hell, you know, government needs to fix this, this damn war in Russia. It's like, you know, government created a lot of the problem guys. Um, you know, when you tell oil and gas companies to stop, you know, exp exploring for new supply, <laughs> um, you know, you run into these sort of problems. And so Russia, Ukraine is kind of the icing on the cake. And, um, I don't know if you guys want to touch on, on some of this energy policy in, in Europe. I know, uh, Rich is, Rich is probably dying to get in there because yeah, what, I mean, Canada's, we know we talked about it, I think on the show last week, Canada sanctioned Russian oil, which was basically just lip service. Uh, I think the U S has now done the same. So it kind of puts Europe in a, in a pretty tough spot. But I want to say one thing first. I don't know anybody that owns a Tesla. I, I really don't. So well, you're looking Steve at does. <laughs> it's a good car. Okay. I'm doing my, I'm doing my part for this world. Coal powered, <laughs> coal power, baby. I mean, I don't, well, let's not like, let's not get like in this huge tent. Let's not go down this road too, too deeply, but like green energy policy, um, the, the lie that they told everybody, what number one is that it would be cheap, which I can assure you it, it's not just, um, if you, uh, Steve, if you know, maybe we can do a podcast where you take apart your Tesla and tell us how much rare earth minerals it requires rare earth metals and how much excess copper it would require to uh, basically uh, create an electric vehicle versus an internal combustion engine the other lie that we were told is that it would be painless um and we're obviously feeling the effect of not investing in in um in oil and having capex to sales be at 20-year lows and um and the other thing that i think is kind of kind of a circular thing which is that we were told that peak demand was on the way. And I think um, oil companies share a lot of the blame with respect to they sort of bought the line that peak demand was on the way because, you know, in order to to basically um, navigate a world of peak demand, um, why produce and why invest? You know what I mean? We can blame energy policy all we want, but and some we have to also there's the share of the blame of the people who run these companies um and then finally a technical point which is the inventories are super super low they're back to 2015 levels um something like two and a half billion um liters in the oecd um and that's not a lot 
And so, you know, you can, we can squawk all we want about um, Russia and this, nah, it's, 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 all these things are way more complicated than I think any of these tweets or politicians or headlines ever want to get into. I don't know, Keith. Yeah. Keith. Well, or- so first of all, you, I said before, Europe is, is absolutely screwed when it, when it comes to the situation they're in right now. And I, the only way they can get out of it is if they do. I, I do think the Eurozone will restructure. I think this genie that's come out of the energy bottle, they, they cannot stuff it back in. So I think it's inevitable that there will be stress created within Europe. And specifically, the Germans are going to say, hey, we've had enough of this. We've carried everyone. We're out of here. And by the way, we're going to take oil again. Or sorry, we're taking that gas from, um, from the Russians. And I know it's still flowing and stuff like that. But there is so much stress within Europe. So as an example, so for people who are not aware of it, the Eurozone is the collection of 19 European countries that they said, we're now going to use the same currency and have one central bank to create monetary policy for all of us. So it's all of Europe, except for Switzerland, except for Denmark, except for Sweden, Sweden and Norway. That's what's so funny about, about the Eurozone and, and the EU. Now, of course, you know, Sweden and Denmark, and you know, they're part of the EU as well, of course. But uh, the, the point is, Europe is it's a pretty complicated messy place but it's also very simple in that the reason the eurozone fails is that they do not have uh, federal debt so if you know the old joke i think the americans have it hey if, if you want to if you have to call europe in a time of crisis who do you call there's there's no one person you either call the germans or, or the french right that's it but there's no federal debt so in canada you know ottawa they'll issue federal bonds and with the americans they've issued treasury bonds in the eurozone there's no federal do- federal bond out there it just doesn't exist each country will continue to issue their own bonds because the moment they issue a federal bond in the eurozone it means that everyone becomes responsible for paying it back which means that gives, you know, that scares the crap out of Germany, of course. They're saying, well, the Italians may not pay it back. The Greeks definitely won't pay it back. You can't trust uh, what's, what they're going to do in Spain and the French. You don't know if they're going to show up at the line. You just don't know, right? So there's always been a huge pushback on that. Suddenly this week, I don't know if anyone noticed, and it really caught my attention. Now they're whispering signs of maybe issuing federal debt across the zone. And it won't happen, but it gets floated out there because the euro is one of the worst performing currencies in the marketplace right now. Because economically, you know, they're getting, they're really getting their, their screws tightened here. Of the majors, of the majors. Yeah, absolutely, the majors. And um, yeah, Rich, those Russian equities aren't doing well, right? <laughs> no, they're not. They're, they're not doing well. Uh, but my point is that it, it's gone down this road, and I really do not know how they can fix it or correct it, which sort of leads into back to the central bank discussion. When everyone is, there's, I think Steve, you mentioned, they're saying, it's crazy. Everyone, they have to raise rates by, you know, 100, sorry, 100 basis points or 1% and 2%, you know, real rates are like minus 4%, like just crazy stuff. The Europeans, they will not be raising rates. They're trying to talk up a good show that they will raise rates, but they will not be doing it. Next week, the American the Americans come out. So the Federal Reserve is going to come out. They are absolutely raising rates. And I would not, I'm expecting them to sound very hawkish. 
and it could be that's the door that opens that could cause a, a pretty big uh, it could prick this balloon out there with all these commodity prices going higher it's the name of the game i know rich has been you know extremely positive and bullish on the energy sector now for, since we started the show and he's been absolutely right and it's funny rich and i bumped into each other yesterday and he's sort of laughing a bit i don't know if you want to tell the story or not but go saying, yeah I like, so go my, for it well, rich said you guys oh, had a no. party on friday without me uh, no. yeah i know that one <laughs> who would Thanks expect if sorensky showed up hey oh boy but, uh no, Rich was saying like now people want to buy energy stocks, right? And you don't do it now. Like this yeah. is at the, this is at, at, at the top. So uh, actually, I have a story. You guys want to hear a boomer story? Take it away. It it might fall flat, but we'll, we'll give it a try. So I'm trying thanks to. For, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, I know. Here we go. Okay, <laughs> can, you so can turn off the podcast t- now. <laughs> <laughs> long time ago, before the internet was invented, Boomer was out one night with his university friends. Uh, so we're on George Street in, in Newfoundland, if you've been over that way. And it's, it's kind of like really late at night or really early in the morning, whatever you want to call it. So we're at this, uh, at this pub. It's a multi-tiered place, like a Thunderdome sort of. And anyway, one of the gimmicks they have late at night, they have this Velcro wall. So somebody can put on a Velcro suit. And they have like a mini uh, catapult or trampoline thing that you jump on. And, and the, the trick is to run the length of the bar and you, you jump on it and you spring up and try to hit the Velcro wall. And then, you know, it's a good bit of fun. So my friends thought it'd be a good idea to put, to put Boomer in the suit. So, so they do that. So here's Boomer at, you know, three in the morning. Van Halen jump is playing. If you guys don't know that music, but it was cool back then. 400 people are screaming all of a sudden you start i'm starting running for it and i don't even hit the, the catapult uh uh the thing they have there i miss it and i just run straight into the wall i'm about two feet above sorry about two inches above the wall i missed the, my friend said it was a good idea that i missed the window because otherwise i would have went out a couple stories but the point is this ties into energy stocks guys Go if on. you're running out buying energy stocks today, it's probably equivalent of putting on a Velcro suit at three in the morning at a bar to jump into the wall. This might be a better opportunity to do it. So that's the uh, oh boy. So the point is, you, you have a good opportunity. Very like even here this afternoon, oil oil dropped from about one twenty five this morning down to one oh five very quickly. Uh, th- this could drop down to like eighty bucks in a hurry. So it'll be similar to euphoria we had in, in cryptocurrencies last year. It's, again, I think we're in that market. So long-term, it's really positive for energy, but you know, you might want to be a bit patient about going into that market. Rich is shaking violently I'm shaking because I want to get into, I want to push back on the Euro thing. And it's not uh, that I don't oh, think that- Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. I, I want to make a comment. We will have one of those uh, Velcro <laughs> suits at the Looney Hour uh gala in vancouver this summer which is still in the works but we will do a live meet and greet sort of event uh for all you wonderful listeners so we'll we'll see if we can get keith to put the suit on uh <laughs> and go for a jump but yeah uh rich feel free to fire back well I just I, listen i get that euro is a basket case they've made all kinds of shitty policy with respect to um, immigration over the last few years over greece over energy there's all kinds of shitty things but one of the things i the reason i don't necessarily i mean Keith was skirting around the topic of a broken up Euro. And I think one of the reasons I think the, um, the Germans will do everything in their power to actually to keep it 
intact and eventually will capitulate and do some kind of federal euro united states of europe bond and actually do everything in their power to keep it is because of the way that their economy is structured Your, germany has a current account balance of seven or eight percent basically they have enormous amounts of exports they don't really consume that much and most of their growth has historically um for the last 20 since they joined the euro been growth oriented and that's the function of that is because being tied to these sorry to say shittier countries um basically has pushed artificially dragged down the theoretical Deutschmark. And as soon as Germany leaves this euro, their quote unquote Deutschmark, this new this Deutschmark version 2.0 or 3.0, whatever we are right now, would shoot up 30 or 40%. And all of their, their economy, which is export oriented, would be 30 or 40% less competitive. Um, and so the, 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 if you think uh, BMWs and Mercedes-Benz are expensive today, imagine if you had to buy it in, a, in some kind of, you know, new German mark. And so the, and, I, and I think that they're well, and the Germans refuse to restructure their economy, e.g. consume more and, and invest more. And so unless they're willing to do either one of those things, which is consume or invest, or accept a Deutschmark that's 40% higher than the current number, um, I don't think that they're ever going to do sort of what maybe they should do, which is um, separate themselves from the euro. And I know we're getting quite down this crazy tangent, so forgive me, but I have to push back on that view. I don't agree at all. Yeah, I, well, okay. I thought, I mean, it's good that, I mean, people always say, you guys always agree on everything. We need some <laughs> new guests on the show. So, I mean, I always enjoy that you guys have a little bit of back and forth. I'm just the uh, the moderator here. Um, but I, I kind of want to bring this... Whoa, oh, whoa, whoa. Shoot. What is one thing Rich <laughs> forgot to mention that there's there's two sides to every coin. So you know, Rich, Rich is correct that, you know, basically, the, you know, when the when the Germans joined the Eurozone, you know, the, the effect of the currency went from like in USD, like a, a buck 70 down to a, a buck 05. You know, that's incredibly awesome for them. The Italians and, and, and the Spanish, you know, their currency went from effectively 50 cents up to a dollar USD. So you could, as I, mean, as I said, hey, the Germans could kick out of this. The Italians definitely wanted this because the way you restructure yeah. your economy. That's fair. That's you fair. know, you can either change interest rates or spend more or spend less money. And they're not allowed to do any of that because, again, the, the Germans through Brussels tells everyone what they're allowed to spend. So the other way an economy can adjust is by using the, the relief valve, which is on the currency side. And, and, and again, the euro is, is strong because of the Germans are attached to it. So remember Berlusconi, he wanted to pull out of the Eurozone in 2012. And it was in the middle of the night, the Eurocrats went in and literally they, they yanked him out. They said, you're out. And they put Mario Monti in, you know, he was a technocrat out of Brussels. Now, here we are now, like 10 years later. Who's the president of uh, Italy? Mario Monti. <laughs> oh, you're Mario Draghi. Draghi. Mario Draghi. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I knew that. Guys, it's, it's the biggest swamp in the world. It, it, it literally is. And you, but you can't, the deflate, connections. you can't deflate your way to prosperity, though. I mean, that's the other. If we're going to get down. No, but we, you know, we know that. But we know that. However, but they, they believe they can. And, and that's the point. And that's the same I, thing with every single country. Okay, so I want to circle. I want to circle this back because I'm going to square the peg here, basically. Which is, at the end of the day, we have massive geopolitical shifts underway right now. 
uh, the world is yeah, becoming sort of this deglobalization. What's going to happen to all these nations? Who, who are who are in the best positions to sort of you know come out of this? How how does the world look? You know, two, three, four, five years from now, uh, I'm kind of curious to hear. Like again, this is a Canadian show, obviously. So how, how are you guys looking at this? Not only from like the Canadian dollar perspective, but obviously we're. Uh, I mean, we've got a lot of commodities for one. Number two is I think that we're going to see a lot of reshoring of, of, you know, supply chains. Hopefully, uh, you know, Canada starts getting back to, to that way and, and investing in research and development and, and, and some manufacturing here domestically, because that seems like it's becoming critically important. Um, so is our energy policy. How are you guys viewing this? Uh, you know, how do you, how do you view the Canadian outlook over the next five years, regardless of who's in power? uh you know politically but i mean do you think that we're in a good position here on a relative uh, basis yeah I, I think on, on a relative basis we won't be first up but i i think within the next you said three to five years steve i, I think there, there will be a significant restructuring of global debt around the world i think that's what we're headed towards bold if, if that if that doesn't happen it means that we grow extremely slow so that all entities can gradually continue to because they got everyone has to everyone has to issue more debt than they're able to service they have to try to do that somehow but Canada will not be up first in terms of restructuring but it will be involved with it I know you didn't say but I will introduce something that's very extremely important that's happening right now and on this side because you know you know we have a lot of you know, of course, uh, a lot of information, a lot of news coming out of Ukraine and Russia right now. But the uh, the Americans, they're going ahead with their digital asset policy. And it's under the guise that we, we have to s- put this in place, control crypto, so that, you know, that way the Russians won't be able to, you know, transact their economy and, and, and so forth. Um, the bank. I think this regulation is bullish, by the way. <clears throat> yeah. Coming, coming from a millennial. Well, just, just letting you know, like the central banks around the world, including the Bank of Canada, they've been front and center. They, they want to come out with a central bank digital currency. Yep. And the reason they want to do that, because they can see, you know, is a bit of a crap show coming up here in, in the debt world. So they need to have everything lined up first to be able to support the system. So, yep. uh, and again, so this creates like incredible opportunities. And it's great for Canada because we won't be the first one to experience it. But I think anyone, if you have the vision to see it, it'll be it'll be pretty good. Rich, do you have any comments? Because I I I want to circle back. Like I want to get your comments, and then I have. I'll make I it quick. On, I want to touch on something. I'll make it quick. So I think um so um Keith did a really good job. Um, agree or with it, agree or disagree with him. I think he did a really good job, sort of framing it from a financial market perspective. I'm gonna frame it from frame my answer um, just from a macroeconomic perspective, which is I think Canada is extremely well positioned. Um, despite the misgivings I have on, um, obviously the housing market debt and stuff like that, I think we have extremely good population growth. That's good. Um, in general, that's really good for growth. We're really close to a, um, an enormous benevolent trade partner, mostly benevolent trade partner. Um, and we're extremely well integrated with that trade partner. That's the U S um, they pay for all of our defense spending, so we don't have to. And so we get to be a free rider. And then the three things the final three things, which is we have energy shitloads of it. We have water, cl- fresh water, shitloads of it. 
Um, and we have raw material. So basic raw materials. So basically commodities, X energy, shitloads of it. Pardon me. I'm, I was told I shouldn't swear lots of it. And so, um, you know, if Canada wants to exploit those resources in a safe and ethical way, the only thing standing in Canada's way is politicians unwilling to exploit our natural resources in a safe and ethical way. Um, I think I think Canada is extremely well positioned. We have lots of real Rich, assets. You, you left out one more thing that Canada and we have lots has. of hockey players. <laughs> There's one more thing that you forgot to mention that Canada Wait. has a lot of. Um, Boomers. Well, oh, maybe. I don't know. We have lots of foreign. I have no idea. Debt. We have lots of debt. So everything yeah, I know, you, but you said we were going to restructure the debt. Yeah, but on, on the way to get debt restructured, you got to come out the other side, and and, and that's my point. Yeah, so, yeah, but what I no no yeah, I, yeah. I didn't I wasn't yeah. I was trying I didn't want to disagree with you at all. I was just saying from a totally purely like a fundamental standpoint, like how can we so navigate? What, what, one oh. thing the what, one thing the Italians talk about quite a bit, and the Canadians don't do it too much, but but the Italians have this incredible current account balance, so they they sell a lot of stuff and then they buy less than what they have coming in. It, it, Italians have a, a current account surplus for the first time in 10 years. But anyway, no, they're, carry on. they're pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I had this conversation with a lot of Europeans. They're like, yeah, we're actually really awesome. And I said, no, that, that number means if you exclude all your debt, you're pretty good at what you're doing. And they said, yeah. I said, well, you have to include the debt. And then that, that's my point around the world. People that have too much debt you know, it is something that's is going to come up here. I know I'm, I'm no so, pretty bearish here today. I don't mean to, but again, guys, we're, we're at the stage where rates are going from zero and higher. You know, there's global conflict taking place. The energy markets have been just shut down. A lot of money can't flow through the swift dollar system again. Like there's going to be some pretty big losers coming up and, and capital is going to gush around uh, as a result of it. Boomer's seen a few things, so um, I was I was wrong. Uh, current account balance has been strong since 2012, since the crisis. That's right. Wait, wait, Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was thinking of yeah, Spain. That, I mean, that kind of that kind of brings me uh, again full circle to sort of my next point, which was I don't know if you guys saw. Um, I don't know if how familiar with you. I'm sure you guys are, but uh, so he's been making the rounds the, this, this past week. Uh, Zoltan Polzar. Uh, he's kind of the, I don't know what you'd call him. I call him like the, the, the granddaddy of like financial plumbing. So this guy's kind of seen it all. He's had some good calls over the past. So he's very well respected in the space. Um, but uh, he, he put out a piece um, that went viral. So a couple people sent it to me, but basically, and this guy works for Credit Suisse. Uh, so Bretton Woods, he's calling it Bretton Woods three. So he says, I'll, I'll just read his uh, portion of his paper here. We are witnessing the birth of Bretton Woods three, a new world monetary order centered around commodity based currencies in the East that will likely weaken the Euro dollar system and also contribute to inflationary forces in the West crisis is unfolding a crisis of commodities. Commodities are collateral and collateral is money. And this crisis is about the rising allure of outside money over inside money. Bretton Woods, the number two, Bretton Woods the second, was built on inside money, and its foundations crumbled a week ago when G7s seized Russia's FX reserves. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys have any comments on that, but um, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a really important dialogue, and it's it's pretty far out there. I mean, it's it's I think we're going through a changing monetary order here. 
Do you want me to go? Uh, yeah, so I'd like to say that with, that's similar to the view. So we've been talking about this kind of stuff for a while, and, and I'll always say I think we're going to be 75% correct. And another way or an easier way to say what, what Zoltan is, is saying is that we're going to have a different monetary system coming up. It, it's, it's going to happen, whether it's, it's commodity-backed or, or something-backed, who knows. But the point is something will break in between. And when all that breakage is going on, it's not, it can't be over a weekend. Like, again, this is, everyone's getting ready for it because the central bank digital currencies, is, it's out there. But they'll try to hold things together as, as long as they can, but eventually it will break. And then there's a new system. So he's suggesting it's going to be a commodity back system. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but, you know, one of the stories out there, you know, you know, your currency will be linked to gold. And it, as great as that sounds, it, it doesn't work. It means your economy will instantly collapse. You, you become deflationary because you're not able to expand the currency or the credit in your system because you're pegging it to gold. You need more gold all the time. The stupid any, system. Any, any gold bugs out listening? Like how much production can you get a year? Like it, it's not an exponential. You, you can't create it. You know, like, like, so that, that's what the, you know, the good stories for crypto. They say, hey, you know, as long as we have you know, some energy to make crypto, you know, it'll, it'll be good. But again, the point that he's making, um, and I know his work quite well, he, he's really strong in like overnight funding markets, what, what's happening in that space. This is the first time he sort of jumped over into that world. And it can be a bit, um, I don't know what the right word is, you could be in disbelief if you read it. But what he is correct with is that something is going to change out there because of this, this death. It's not sustainable. And he is right that the system has shifted dramatically because of the uh, response to the Russians. Rich? I was just going to say, I mean, it sounds scary, I think, because change is scary. And I'm, I've been on record as saying I hate change. Um, but um, um, but the, this has happened many times before. I mean, the Bretton Woods, for people that don't know that, is the name of a hotel or resort in Washington, I think. I think we've talked about it on this podcast before. I mean, it's just a bunch of people trying, sitting together, trying to figure out how the world will conduct business over, you know, a indeterminate amount of time. Um, and this happens a lot. I mean, um, there's different treaties every little while. Um, and, you know, the earth is still here and we're still here and people still do business. And, and, um, and I think that's just something, it's just how, how do you position yourself for sort of that, that shift? Um, just back to your point about the commodity-based system, you know, Keith stole stole my 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 point, so I won't I won't belabor it. But it just sounds like I can I don't know the reason I don't buy it is because it just sounds like another gold system and a gold back thing. Commodity is just a fancy word for some element that you have to dig up out of the ground. Um, and so you know, he made it sound fancy with the word commodity, but I would just say, doesn't that sound like gold? And that never works because you can't expand your, you can't, ex fiat, fiat system works in a way, people hate it now because central banks have screwed it up, but it makes sense that you can expand and contract your money supply outside of a person with a pick and an ax and a shovel. Um, so I think it's really, really important to remember that. So, so one thing here, uh, I have been to Bretton Woods and I've climbed the mountain next to it. I hung out in the gold room 
And I, I do encourage anyone to go to Bretton Woods. It's, it's one of the most beautiful resorts I've ever been to. Uh, but everyone should remember Bretton Woods, the, these big events, they happen after the crisis. It, it never happens before. So Bretton right. Woods was, was the result of the conclusion and, and the wreckage, and all the rubble lying around from World War II. So we will get another one, Bretton Woods 3, whatever they want to call it. But it'll be after we deal with this, this gobs of debt that's out there. And I'm, I'm excited about it from a financial perspective because I think you can make a lot of money or worse still, you can preserve your money. And a lot of people, you know, like to say they're with their investment portfolios, they're standing in the highway in the middle of the night. And, you know, that, that's not two motorcycles coming at you guys. That, that's a big <laughs> truck. Right. You can't stand in between the lights. So that's, that's so, I mean, that, that's a good question. That was actually kind of leads to my next question, which was, <clears throat> so you got a lot of people listening to the show and they're like, okay, Bretton Woods three commodity price inflation, changing world order. This sounds, this all sounds very scary. What the hell do I do? And I know you can't give direct investment advice, but like, can you give any sort of like guidance? Like if someone's just like, listen, I need to like, how do I, how do I position myself for like, the coming sort of change and volatility that will uh, encompass that change. Can I just jump in there quickly with like one, one, sorry, one two word answer, which is tangible assets would be the way I would, I would say it, but Keith, I'm sure has a much more kind of. Are you talking about like strictly like, like hard assets? Like, yeah, but like that means gold, that whether it's real land, estate, like whether it's, you know, whether it's land, I mean, whether it's uh, physical gold, whether it's your house, I think it's very, you know, whatever your house is priced in, whether it's bananas or cocoa puffs or whatever, I mean, it's still standing and still use it. Um, uh, but I'm sure that there's much more kind of ele elegant um, and more sophisticated ways, which Keith will tell us in a minute. But for me, it's it's tangible asset or claims yeah, on I, tangible asset. I, I wouldn't be fearful of it. I, I think what's really great today is um, th there are a lot, you, most investors today, they have access to a lot of different uh, sources, like such as this show, for example, and, and other, some, like, again, guys, Twitter is outstanding. You can, you can get really close to some really smart shops out there very quickly. And you're able to, uh, you know, just, just educate yourself and with yourself. And then when you're armed with that, you know, go ask whoever, wherever you're having your money match, ask the right questions, understand it, and then you can set yourself up for it. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. There's only two ways, only two things you can do. Yeah, There's a lot of things, but as long as you understand where the risks are and then you're able to, because there's lots of tools out there to help protect your money. Like there really are. Uh, like curling up in a GIC, that's not one of them because you're on the bank's <laughs> balance sheet if, if you do that. And, but that's a very important consideration. People don't understand that um, if, if a bank gets in trouble and your money is on the bank's balance sheet, you know, you just, you just become a creditor to the bank. If you're in an investment portfolio, your assets are segregated from the bank's balance sheet. So in, in Canada, they have specific rules for that. And, you know, you have to worry about those things. But again, like people have easy access to more information today. And the more you know, the better informed you will be. Again, I, I'm, I'd be very excited about it. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of brings me to a point uh, as well, just to kind of as we're talking about all this, there was a, we opened up the show around, you know, rate hikes and how much they can hike and blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a good piece that was put out by um, David Doyle McCurry research. So he's again, pretty respected guy here in Canada, but uh, so he, he put out a chart and we'll post this here, but 
he put out a chart uh, highlighting. So he's like, you know, if you account for the, all the debt in the system, so if you account for all the debt here in Canada, that if we actually do get, I think he said six rate hikes this year. So if you actually do get the overnight rate to about uh, 1.5%, that it would be equivalent to the tightest uh, monetary tightening since 1980. So again, just to just to wow. reiterate, so basically what he what he's essentially saying is that your Paul Volcker moment in Canada is taking rates from zero to one point five percent, given the amount of debt that's in that's built up in the system in this economy, the amount of leverage in the household and corporate sector. Does that, that include that, inflation though? Like inflation. Uh, well, I mean that's the thing, right? I mean. I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Um, That's fair. That's okay. He, yeah. It's, I mean, I, query research, David Doyle, I think he's a respectable person. He is. Could he, he is. could he be wrong? Could he be wrong? Very much so. But I think it was a very interesting chart that they put out because I, 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 I that's kind of my view. And I think it's been, you know, my view from the get go here is that the rate hikes are coming, but when you really factor in the amount of indebtedness that we've talked about, which is what Keith is saying that, you know, at the end of the day, this debt will have to be restructured in some shape or form over the next, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years from now, that there will be some sort of restructuring central bank, digital currencies will be involved. Uh, perhaps what Zoltan talked about commodity-based currencies, there'll be some sort of Bretton Woods three system. Uh, and there'll be, you know, certainly be winners and losers uh, from whatever that new system looks like. I have something cool to share with you. Um, you may or may not know this, but who is the biggest issuer of debt in Canada? Which group? Federal government, no? Nope. Rich? Rich is going to open up his computer with like, I saw Rich's <laughs> computer yesterday. He was... I said, show me your work. He said, well, this tab here, here has 8,762 charts. I'm like, wow. So you're saying it's not the federal government? I'm going to take a second guess. Could it be like the issuer of debt? Yeah. The like, single issuer of debt? Is this, a, is this a trick question? Yeah, this is a trick. Well, it's not a trick question. It's, okay. um, it's, uh, it's the provinces on an aggregate level. So provincial debt is greater than federal debt. And the reason it's important is because federal debt, like the most liquid, I, I did research on this a couple of years ago. So before the pandemic, the most liquid provincial debt, I think it's the Ontario 10-year bond at the time. Uh, it had about 20% liquidity of the federal government 10-year bond. So, so remember when the provinces, like Newfoundland had to get bailed out effectively back in, in March of, of 2020. And it was only because they were first up they had to, they had an issuance coming up and that's it. If it was Nova Scotia or BC, it would have been them. It just happened. Newfoundland had bad luck with it. So right now, if we're going down this road in, in Canada where, you know, we could, that growth is going to slow, say other things can happen. Um, and remember when you get a crisis, liquidity dries up, like money flows to the most liquid security, which would be the, the 10 year bond issued from Ottawa provincial debt, it, it dries up. There's no way you can get out of this stuff. Um, however, I think we were talking about this earlier, there is one province and actually uh, two provinces in Canada that will do very well coming up in this environment because energy has gone so high. And so, so Steve, why don't you share with us what your, uh, 
talked about earlier. Yeah, with, no, I was just saying before the show, before we started recording, that uh, well, I was talking about the the bull market that's obviously happening in Alberta, particularly the housing market's exploded. I mean, it's off the charts. Um, that uh, I'm actually just reviewing it right now. So the the Alberta government based its uh, budget deficits um, on seventy dollars. So it was seventy dollar a barrel oil. Uh, obviously we know where it's at today north of a hundred. So again, will that continue? Maybe not, but I think structurally, I think that we're going to see elevated oil prices over the next sort of three to five years, um, due to these supply constraints that are not just related to what's happening in Russia, but, uh, the lack of exploration moving forward. So basically long story short is Alberta is going to be running, uh, massive surpluses uh, for the for, for at least the next couple of years. And as Rich said, that will probably equate to more. You'll see a lot more public schools suddenly start popping up. Because, um, yeah, I mean, Alberta, I mean, it was suffering quite a bit. You know, talking about cutting uh, like nurses and school teachers wages because, you know, they were running these deficits, trying to get their balances back in, in, in line, obviously due to the oil bear market that we've had over the, you know, the previous, say, what, five years. And uh, so that, that picture is, is changing very, very quickly. Can I just ask a question though about the, so I, I understand the liquidity issue for the, for the provincial versus federal debt. Um, mind you, I would, I would you know, say that it's probably a lot closer than it was, let's say 10 years ago because of what's happened over the last two years. Um, but my question is, doesn't the federal government just back the provincial, like after that liquidity event, um, and you get that like schism, wouldn't the federal government just be like, okay, we're, we're going to, we're going to transfer one for one, all of the, the provincial debt for federal debt. I mean, wouldn't that happen? I don't, that's I don't get why not that's, though. That's never happened. So they but might I mean, have to go down. We that. I mean, never is a, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but, but that's the point though. So again, you go back to the Newfoundland experience from, from March of 2020, uh, again, they had, I don't know what the number was. They had to, they just had to roll over. They had to issue some maturing. You, you got to roll it over. But they're not going to let Newfoundland default. I mean, that's, there's a way. It- so here's what, yeah, but here's what happened though, Rich. They, so they, so, you know, the defendmen in, in Newfoundland, they call Ottawa and they say, Hey, we're in trouble here. Like we need to borrow in four days. And, you know, our team is telling us, or our bankers are saying, there's no bid on this. So we need your help. And then all of a sudden the phone rings, it's Ontario. And they're saying, Hey, like we need help here. We were not going to be able to roll over debt, you know, and then Quebec calls and Saskatchewan and and whatever. So, so what happens, what happened next is that they call the bank of Canada and they say, Hey, this is what's happening. We need a solution. I mean, that, that, that's what went down. So the bank of Canada effectively backed the the issuance for, for Newfoundland getting the debt. Yeah. I remember that they did. They did. If you look at the bank of Canada's balance sheet, the, the uh, the growth in in provincial debt um, went from zero to I, I don't remember the figure but it was it was a it was a large portion of the balance sheet expansion at the onset of the pandemic. Yeah, it it really was. So I mean, in, I know a lot a lot of investors in Canada and in, in the fixed income world, if if you want income, you know, you're not getting a lot from federal government debt or mutual funds that are you know buying that stuff so then you 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 move up a step you start buying provincial debt so there there are some funds out there they just hold provincial debt and just go back and look at what the experience of of that fund was back in q1 of of that year sorry in in 2020 or just for the month and you'll say holy smokes (laughs) this thing just dropped like a stone and and that's the point when if there's no liquidity in a market 
then then there's no there's no no one willing to buy it and you know that's what makes u.s treasury so great you can buy and sell it like gobs of it one day to the next and no you're, you ain't going to move the price that much but the, the more illiquid a security is or a market is so again coming back to canada so like maybe the demise of canada i don't use that word demise but maybe the the event that escalate stress across the Canadian system, it comes from one of the provinces really running in, into trouble. So I, I don't know which province, you know, consumes the most oil. I, I don't know. I'm just taking a guess. It might be Ontario maybe, but um, you know, whereas Ontario, sorry, whereas, whereas Alberta should be doing pretty well over the next 12, 18, 24 months, maybe there's, there's always a loser on the other side. So if you figure out who that loser is, that's where maybe the, the spark you know, could come. Who's the uh, who's the most indebted uh, province? Do you know? I don't remember. <laughs> it's probably Quebec. No, I'm kidding. I'm from yeah. Quebec, so I have to say that. I'm kidding. I think I it is. It's it's Quebec and or Ontario on, on a relative on an absolute basis. It is Ontario. I mean, they they have a ton of it. What? But again, I was like, gonna say, does it doesn't Ontario also have like the highest like tax rates too? Like it's just like I mean, how much more you know blood can they squeeze from a stone? Yeah, it's pretty high over here as well. So, uh, but that's the point though. As long as you can continue to borrow, you keep rolling things over. But the moment that you can't roll over your debt, you know, that, that's when it gets a bit tight out there. You know, and as, as we keep talking about, like our view is that, you know, a, a problem in Canada, I do not think it's going to be a domestic event. It's going to be an international event that will trigger something domestically. So that's why you need to be very uh, keen and focused and interested on, on what's happening around the world with all this stuff. Quick, quick question for you. Uh, we'll wrap it up here, but do you, do you, do you have any thoughts or on municipal debt? Like, is that, I, I'm, from what I understand, municipalities aren't allowed to like legally run deficits, right? They have to like, that's they have right. basically run balanced budgets. I think that's right. Yes, but what do you mean, though? Thoughts on it from from which perspective? Uh, I guess in terms of liquidity, did they they must have ran into a, a jam there? They did run into a jam during the pandemic as well. But um, so mo- most municipalities, like they're either borrowing, you know, directly through a banking conglomerate or through the province and, and stuff like that. Some of the large, um, I would call it like agency type debt, like Ontario Hydro, like those those kinds of things are out there. But like you know, the city of Halifax, for example. Um, you know, if you can find their debt, it's not trading. Like it's locked up in a fund somewhere. Funny story. I was chatting with a uh, uh, municipal government in Vancouver and uh, very, very well connected. But yeah, he was just saying like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> they're just talking about like real estate and, and development. Cause like, this is like, this is our lifeblood of our, our tax revenues coming in. It's like the developers community amenity contribution so like they're like we need new we need new density and new housing supply or like effectively said it's a ponzi scheme otherwise right like which i mean i think most things in life turn out are, are ponzi in nature right like they rely on more and more uh debt issuance or or taxation to sort of sustain itself oh that's a wrap yes. so, there you go <laughs> That's your uh, that's your explainer on the provincial and municipal governments and the coming changing monetary uh, order. Uh, the uh, wonderful Zoltan Pulzer here. Keith wants to have some final thoughts. 
Yeah, Steve, why don't you mention, though, I think we talked about it offline, but we, we uh, just share that we were thinking about getting together in, in May out in Vancouver, if people are interested. Yeah, so for the people that are uh, watching this on YouTube, if you don't mind, just commenting below, like, you know, if, there, if you have any interest in in attending, you know, we'd be, it would be fun. We'd make it fun, obviously. It would be, you know, I don't know if I say open bar tab, but uh, maybe a couple free ones on the house and, uh, you know, just kind of a meet and greet. Maybe we'd do like a live loony hour sort of show, something along those lines. If you If you'd be interested in attending, uh, in Vancouver this summer, please let us know. Just kind of give us a gauge of overall interest, but I think preliminarily it sounds pretty good. And uh, as always, we we thank you for your support. All we ask is that in support of this podcast, you know, we don't run advertisements, we don't charge any money. All we ask is that you share this episode with at least you know one person and help us continue to grow this community that we're building together. So appreciate it. We'll see you next week.